the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. But the goodness of God is that he redeems us and saves us because he loves us. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us. But the issue is that we have to learn, okay, so that's the way we were. Paul says, and some of you were those things. But now, you got to leave the past in the past, and you got to come out of that worldly ways and the worldly system and the worldly wisdom. You need to understand a whole new way of living and thinking and behaving. Because now, you are a blood-bought child of God, and you have no business living like the world. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. There is a tendency today in the church to allow the philosophy and wisdom of the world to shape how we think and act. Today, Pastor Gary will introduce the city of Corinth and the Corinthian church Paul addresses in his letters. The church was all too frequently letting the ways of the world shape them individually and corporately. Paul was calling them to live a distinct life from those around them like those who belong to Jesus. How does your life look distinct? Because you belong to Jesus. How is your life shaped by the wisdom of God above the foolishness of the world? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're diving into the book of 1 Corinthians. So turn in your Bibles to a new book study this evening, 1 Corinthians. Uh, now, before we start reading here from chapter 1, I'm going to give actually somewhat of a lengthy introduction. I think it is important for us to always understand context. If you don't understand context, you won't appreciate the reason for this letter. And so bear with me as we go through some of the background uh, and some of the overview of this book before we actually dive into it. Although, Lord willing, hopefully we will get through chapter 1 tonight. But for those of you who like to take notes, first a little bit about the church at Corinth, the church itself, the recipient of this letter. The church was founded by Paul. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. It was founded about five years before 1 Corinthians was written, and Paul stayed there about 18 months. When he first founded this church in Corinth, he stayed there for about a year and a half, investing in them, discipling them, training them, and instruction in the ways of the Lord. And it was particularly needful for him to be there to instruct the church at Corinth because Although it included some Jews, as we will see a reference later in this book, the church, for the most part, 
was largely composed of Gentile converts. He's going to refer to their previous way of life, and you're going to notice in the course of his letter that he will refer to basically their ignorance of the things of the Lord, and so plenty of references to their former pagan lifestyle. As far as the city of Corinth goes, that's also important for us to understand in all of the context of this book. It was an important port city of Greece, So Corinth is an important city of Greece during the uh, first century here of the Roman Empire. There were around 500,000 people who lived there in Paul's day. By the way, the majority of that 500,000 were slaves under the Roman Empire. The population of Corinth, about 200,000 free men and about 300,000 were slaves. It was an extremely immoral city. And that is also very important to the backdrop of this letter. A very immoral city. It had 12 pagan temples, the most notable of which was the Temple of Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love. And as a result, uh, because of her prominence in the city of Corinth, there were a thousand temple prostitutes, both male and female, including adult men, adult women, and boys, who were employed at the Temple of Aphrodite. And so, therefore, it was more of a religious house of prostitution than anything else. But this is first century Roman Empire. This is Corinth. It is the Vegas of the day, friends. The letter to the church at Corinth uh, was written, what we are reading here, written uh, by Paul around 56 to 57 A.D., somewhere in that time period, while he was in Ephesus during his third missionary journey. You will notice with me that this is more of a corrective epistle that addresses divisions and disunity. It addresses immaturity and immorality in the church. All right, this stuff is happening in the church. All right, so when you're going to read this, you're going to realize, wow, this church is pretty messed up. That's right, and it's not too unlike a lot of churches. And so uh, Paul is going to correct them through this letter, and Paul addresses also questions that they had asked concerning marriage, lifestyle liberties, and spiritual gifts and money, because at the beginning of these different chapters, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 12, and chapter 16, he always begins by saying, now about the matters that you wrote, now about the matters that you wrote. So there's some other unknown letter that the Corinthian church wrote to Paul asking him questions about these subjects, about marriage and what kind of liberties can we have as Christians, what are the things we can do, you know, the old thing about how close to the edge can we actually go and it still be okay and not sin. He's going to address some of that. Spiritual gifts, they want to know what about spiritual gifts and they're a bit ignorant about spiritual gifts. He's going to school them on that subject and also about money. They ask him about that, and he writes about that in chapter 16. Now, that's basically the background. Let me give you the overview of this letter and the church that it was written to. When I was a kid, I spent some time on the Whitehall River in Annapolis. Uh, My grandmother had some friends who had a beautiful house right on the Whitehall River. And so some summer, she'd go to visit them for a week or so, and I'd tag along, not because I wanted to hang out with older people, no offense to older people, I just, you know, as like a 12-year-old kid, it wasn't that, hey, I really think a a week in the summer would be wonderful, I hung out with some 80-year-old people, but it was because they were right on the Whitehall River, and I had a selfish interest, I wanted to go crabbing and fishing, and man, I would literally fish all day long, from the time that sun rose until the sun set, and I remember one day, I'm not making, this is not a fish story, I'm not exaggerating here, friends. (laughs) I remember one day catching 73 fish. 
because I would just all day long. I mean, I'd be out for 10 hours all day long just fishing. It was generally white perch. But here's the thing about the Whitehall River. It was brackish. There was a mixture of some fresh and salt water. And, and that's the issue at the church at Corinth. They are a brackish people. There is a stream of fresh water and salt water both going on in this church. Here's what I mean. They are both very spiritual on the one hand and very worldly on the other. This church, he says here in chapter 1, verse 7, let me just point out one verse so you get an idea how spiritual they were. In verse 7, he says, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. This church was so spiritual, they didn't lack a single spiritual gift. And he's going to enumerate them when we get further into chapter 12. I mean, they had miracles happening. They had signs and wonders. They had words of wisdom, words of knowledge. They were completely very spiritual in a broad sense. And he even commends them. He says, you didn't even lack any spiritual gifts. But at the same time, they were very worldly. They were very salty too. If you go to chapter 3 real quickly, just so again you can get the perspective of this whole letter and why it is being written. In chapter 3, look at verse 1. He says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Circle that word. The King James Bible says carnal. Mere infants in Christ. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. You are still worldly. Okay, so we're going to notice here that they have, you know, all this wonderful stuff going on spiritually. But Paul says, you're also very carnal. You're very worldly. You're very fleshly. It's a very brackish congregation here. All right. He says to them basically this. You might be speaking in tongues, but he says, you are messed up. That's what he's going to say to the church in Corinth. We're going to see chapters one through three. He says, you got a bunch of divisions and quarrels going on. We're going to get to chapter 5, and he says, you got sexual immorality in the church, and you think it's okay? We're going to address that. Into chapter 6, he says, you guys are suing the pants off each other. You're taking each other to court. What do you think you're doing? And in chapter 12, he says, you don't have the foggiest idea how spiritual gifts are supposed to function properly in the church. And he's going to write this letter as this corrective epistle saying to them, you might be very spiritual on the one hand, but you people are very worldly and very fleshly on the other. And those two streams do not mix. And he's going to call them, basically in a phrase, to grow up. This is time for the church to grow up. And that's what he's going to address here. Now, he's going to point out to them, and this is important to recognize, the reason why their maturity has stalled. Okay, again, this is five years after he planted the church. So now the church is five years old, and he's basically saying to them, you should be beyond the quarreling. You should be beyond the sexual immorality. You should be beyond all this frivolous lawsuit stuff. You should be beyond all of this kind of wacky stuff. Oh, they were getting drunk at communion, too. I forgot that one, chapter 11. They were getting wasted, smashed at church because they were drinking too much of the bubbly at communion time. Not waiting for each other. Just They saw it as an opportunity to get wasted in the church. So all this is going on. Paul's like, five years later, you guys should be beyond this. What is your problem? And so he addresses it. Now, here's the reason why they couldn't seem to go on to maturity. He's going to point this out. This is the main theme. Don't miss this. What is the reason why the Corinthian church was more worldly than it was spiritual? Here's the answer. The reason was basically because they had allowed the philosophy and the wisdom of the world to shape how they think and act inside and outside the church. That's what happened. They, because they were predominantly Gentile, 
we're still allowing the worldly ways of doing things and thinking about things to influence their lives, both individually and corporately as a church. I want you to go to chapter 6 for a moment because I want you to see the background of the folks in this church so you can appreciate here why they're having a hard time coming out of all of this. Look at chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Next verse. And that is what some of you were. So that's the makeup of this church. Now he adds there, this is the beautiful part, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How many of you are thankful for that work of God in your life? Amen? Okay, so you might see yourself in that list too. You go, yeah, I kind of identify with some of those words myself. Well, the good news is that's why Jesus died. He died to purify our hearts and to save us out of those things so that we all have a past of some sort. We all have a testimony But the goodness of God is that he redeems us and saves us because he loves us. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us. But the issue is that we have to learn, okay, so that's the way we were. Paul says, and some of you were those things. But now you got to leave the past in the past and you got to come out of that worldly ways and the worldly system and the worldly wisdom. You need to understand a whole new way of living and thinking and behaving. Because now you are a blood-bought child of God. And you have no business living like the world. And so he's going to spend some time here distinguishing between, we'll see this in chapter 1 here, if we can get to it, we're going to see here this emphasis between and a contrast of the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. All right? The word wise or some form of it, like wisdom, appears 30 times in the book of 1 Corinthians. 27 of those times in the first three chapters. There's a heavy emphasis on wisdom. We need the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of this world. And he's going to point out this fact, and we need to all understand. This is why this book, though it was written centuries ago, friends, this is so relevant for us today. Because there will be a constant pull of the wisdom of this world in contradiction to the wisdom of God. And Paul's going to say the things of God are going to seem like foolishness to this world. People are going to laugh at you and they're going to think you're crazy for believing what you believe. You're foolish to think that Jesus saves and the cross is the power of deliverance for humankind. You're nuts to believe these kind of things. And the world will mock you. And the tendency will be, well, maybe the world is smarter and maybe I'm the dumb, weird one. And and Paul's going to come along and say, no, 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 no. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So stay on track with the wisdom of God and don't be sucked into the philosophy and, quote, wisdom of this world because a lot of times, though not all, but a lot of times, the ways of this world are in contradiction to the ways of God and so you have to live a distinct life and separate. Otherwise, the world watching is going to look in at the church and think, why should I be a part of what you guys have? You don't have anything different to offer. You look just like we do. The church at Corinth looked just like the world in some ways. Oh, yeah, again, they had miracles going and words of wisdom. They're speaking in tongues, all this other kind of stuff. But they have sexual immorality. They're getting drunk. They're suing each other. That's not very different from the rest of the world. That's what the world's doing. 
The world's sleeping around. The world's getting drunk. The world's suing each other. And so the instruction is corrective because he's saying, now that you belong to Christ, live like that and let the church be a place that exemplifies the love and the grace of Jesus Christ and live your lives in such a way that you exemplify Christ to a lost and dying world. So that's where we're heading with all this, all right? Do you think this is relevant or what? Amen. Let's look here to chapter 1 now. We have the benefit now as we read here into 1 Corinthians. uh, We have the benefit of being like, if you will, not that any of us are good in ourselves, but in just this comparative sense. We have the opportunity of being like the good child while the bad child is getting spanked. You know that deal? I don't know if you had a brother or sister growing up, but when your brother or sister was getting in trouble and they were getting spanked, didn't that kind of amuse you? Because you're like standing back going, okay, that's cute, you know, look at... And I mean, that's the way our kids were growing up. And so when you have the opportunity to watch the other child get spanked, you can kind of sit back and learn a little bit. So here we are learning while this child gets spanked here. And so Paul introduces himself right from the beginning, very different from the way we write letters. In verse 1, he identifies himself right from the beginning. We write a letter, and we sign our name at the end. And you got to, you know, when you get a card, like a birthday card or a letter, you just quickly look to the end. Who signed this? All right. Well, Paul says from the beginning who he is. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. Okay, again, right in the margin of your Bible, Acts 18, because that was... The basis for the beginning of the church at Corinth, we're introduced to Sosthenes in Acts chapter 18. We find out that he is the synagogue ruler, and he's going to get saved in the course of Paul's ministry. Paul goes first to the Jews in Corinth. They mock him. They drive him out of the synagogue. He goes next door and plants a church, a church that is an evangelical church based on the gospel of Christ. And Sosthenes was a synagogue ruler uh, there in Corinth. But he ends up coming out and getting saved and joining Paul's new church. Verse 2, he writes, To the church of God in Corinth. Church in Greek is ekklesia, meaning the called out ones. That's what church really means. We're, We're called out to be different. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So this is written also to us because he says to all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he writes to those sanctified. He says those who are called to be holy. Those are similar words in the original Greek. They have the same root word, hagios. To be sanctified is hagiazo. To be holy is hagios. In fact, the word holy also translates saints in some of your Bibles. So it is true that if someone knows Christ sitting next to you, they are a saint by definition. Maybe not by the way they act sometimes, but by definition. And he says in verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always that way, grace and peace in that order in the greetings of Scripture, not peace and grace. You cannot have peace until you first know His grace. It is always in that order, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a typical greeting that covered both Greeks and Jews. Grace in Greek is charis, peace for the Jews, shalom. He says, I always thank God, verse 4, I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. 
because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. So he's commending them here in the beginning. And, you know, he says, listen, you're very eloquent in the way that you testify about the truth. You're very knowledgeable about the truth. I mean, after all, again, Paul invested 18 months out of his life with these people. So, of course, they should be a bit eloquent and a bit knowledgeable because, he says, our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. He shared the gospel with them. Verse 7, he says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He, verse 8, this is a great verse, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, underline that or highlight that in your electronic Bibles. He will keep you strong to the end. That's the work of God. You know, our God is a keeping God. Even the great priestly blessing of Numbers chapter 6, 24, it reads, The Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. God is a keeping God. Isaiah 26, 3 says that God will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast or stayed on God. In Psalm 121, 7 to 8, David said, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. In Jude 24, it says, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. God is a keeping God. And God, he says here, will keep you strong to the end. God will keep us in perfect peace. God will keep us from all harm. God will keep us from falling. That is the work of God in our lives. I know that on the spectrum of Christian doctrine, and we've talked about this before, there are two opposite ends of the spectrum where some will believe that the Bible emphasizes that it's all up to you to get saved and to keep your salvation. And uh, on the other end of the spectrum, some will emphasize it's all up to God to get you saved. You have no choice in it. You can't gain it, lose it, do anything. It's all God. And there's a tension in the Bible between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. I don't believe we should be at either extreme. But yet both are truth. Both are true statements. That God is sovereign and man needs to be responsible. But as much as we are to be responsible for our salvation in terms of receiving, accepting, walking, living in obedience, there is the keeping hand of God involved in it. It is not solely up to us because the promise is that God will keep you strong unto the end. So God is the one who was also actively working in your faith to keep you strong, to keep you from falling. He does his work to preserve us as his children in this journey of faith so that we might finish and finish well. He says here, God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless. Listen, that doesn't mean perfect, but it literally means without accusation. Blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it possible that we're able to stand without accusation before God? Not because of our own merit or worth, but because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so God sees us wrapped in the righteousness of His Son. None of us can lay claim to any righteousness of our own, but because of what Christ did on the cross, when we put our faith in Him, we say, yes, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. Then the day we die, we stand before the Lord. Or if he returns, if that happens before that. And we're able to stand before him without fault, without accusation, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so he's reminding us of this. He's reminding the church at Corinth of this. In verse 9, he says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Amen? 
Apostle Paul's message to the church in Corinth was frank and powerful. They needed to make some changes. They knew the truth of Christ because Paul had spent time planting the seeds of truth. They had begun to walk in the ways of Jesus, but they had let lies taint their steps. Those lies are common still today. Is there something you've heard from a spiritual leader that just hasn't sat right in your soul? Don't let it take root. Instead, Take it to the Bible and to your Heavenly Father. Allow Him to show you what is right and what isn't, and then grow in His perfect truth and love. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians when you join us next time. But for now, we'd like to invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about this ministry. You'll be able to hear past teachings, connect with us on social media, and learn more about the church this program originates from. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find directions and more information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're excited to have you join us. Thanks for tuning in today. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.